That was gross. Got him real good. All right. I think it's just about done. <laughs> Who's familiar with that clip? Yeah. I don't know many people that are not. So that was a super well-known fight. Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. That was, the date was June 28th, 1997. And this was the third round of their rematch. Both men were known throughout the world as two of the best fighters, two of the best boxers that you would ever watch have a match, right? They go one round, they go two rounds. For whatever reason, in round three, Mike Tyson decides that's his option. I'm not really sure where it came from. I'm not really sure why he would go there, but he did. Um, it came really out of left field. It was ugly. It was just gross to watch, honestly, and it was a really unfair move, wasn't it? A really unfair move. He bit the man's ear clean off. Bloody, disgusting, had to be reattached, just gross. But this morning I'm gonna talk to you about someone else that you and I encounter, sometimes on the daily that isn't a fair fighter. And that would be the enemy of our souls. He doesn't fight fair when he comes at us, does he? Let me just tell you this first before I go further. He hates you. He hates you. He hates your guts. He hates everything about you. And in the same way that there is a God who loves you unconditionally, who is faithful to you, the enemy wants to use everything in his power to manipulate you, to take you off course for your God-ordained destiny in this world. I had to get that out of the way because sometimes I don't think that we understand the depth and the... Um, the emotion, so to speak, behind the hatred that is truly against us in the kingdom of darkness. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus said this, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full and total overflows. The enemy's only job is to steal from your life. It's to kill you off emotionally, spiritually, sometimes even physically. He wants to kill you, completely destroy and ruin your life, take you off course, and just throw you to the wolves in your God-ordained destiny, what he has for your life. And I know we're watching this gross video. I'm telling you things, you know, that, um, that someone hates you. They hate your guts. They hate what you're all about. And so this is not an actual um, feel-good intro to a message. But that's okay, because if you read the word, we win in the end, so it's okay that we get through the ugly stuff first. Okay? Okay. But the enemy doesn't fight fair. All that to say he doesn't fight fair. He's a jerk. Look at your neighbor and say, he's such a jerk. I hate him. <laughs> but when it comes to the idea, this idea that we're going to talk about this morning, of our identity and of our destiny, there's nothing more that the enemy loves to attack. There's nothing more that he loves to... Um, try and come against us on because he knows or he feels if he convinces us of who we're not and where we're definitely not going because we're not who we are then he thinks he's already won the fight but this morning that's not truth and this morning as believers that know our identity in Christ we know that that is not the truth 
So identity, when I say that word, you guys may think of some different, <coughs> different meanings, different things when it comes to you. But identity truly is who or what someone is, who they're associated with. And sometimes it's even who a person thinks they are. And sometimes there's lies attached to identity that have words that have been spoken, things that have been done or said to us, and we believe something that we are not. Right? I think we've all probably struggled at one time or another to feel a certain way. But identity is who we are associated with. I am associated with Christ, therefore I am everything he says I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And I have to rest in the identity that he has given me. The definition of destiny from a Christian standpoint is said to be this. What God wants a man or woman to become as planned before he or she was created. So we put these two things together. There's a plan in place for you. There are things that will be set into motion for you, for all of us, as we move into the plan and true purposes of God in our lives. Our identity and our destiny are connected, and our destiny is rooted in our identity. We cannot have one without the other. They have to stay together. If I know who I am at my core, if I believe what the Lord says about me, if I believe the good things that have been spoken into my life, then I truly can have a belief that I can do anything and I can accomplish anything and I can take on anything this world has to throw at me, right? Because I know who I am and you're not going to convince me that I'm not. You're not. But in the same way, if I believe a lie, in the same way if you believe a lie and we have a false sense of identity, then the odds will be forever stacked against me and against you as we continue on in this journey that is called life. So to have a proper sense of identity is vital to our walk, it's vital to our life. It's vital to everything that we are about and everything that we do. And I want to say this, too, before getting further in, is that I don't believe that we are big enough to completely throw off the plans of God. I really don't. He's a big God. He, knows, he has known since conception what our life was supposed to be and what it's supposed to be about. And I don't believe for a moment that in, in one, um, one take we can just switch it. It's not like we change his mind and he says, well, I had a plan and they were supposed to do this, this, and this, but they did, you know, oh, they really screwed that up. But what we do have to do in order to keep the course, to stay the course, and to stay on the plan that he has for us is to surrender. What we have to do is daily walk out our Christian, um, our relationship with Christ and lay it down. Even in moments of uncertainty, we have to stay the course and remain faithful. The only thing that we can do to postpone or derail the things of God is blatant disobedience. The no. We talk a lot here about saying the yes. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. What do you have for me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I will tell you the no will take you to a whole different place. And so our blatant disobedience will 100% take us off course. It will 100% move us to places and to things where we never should be. But I, am, I do believe that in order to understand the destiny and the plan that God has for your life, we have to understand how valuable we really are. This kind of goes back to our identity, right? If you and I weren't valuable, then we wouldn't be fought for, right? If I didn't have something to offer to the kingdom, um, the other kingdom wouldn't fight for me. And it wouldn't fight for you. If we were not a threat, then we would, there would not be an attempt to take us off course 
we'd just be easy, easy peasy, right? Down the road, straight and narrow all the time, we'd be good. But because you and I are valuable to the kingdom of God, we are absolutely a target for the kingdom of darkness. And we have to understand that and we have to um, take that and know that there's a constant battle happening in the heavens for your identity, your future, and your destiny. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us a bit of who we are. And we're, we're more things than I'm going to go over this morning, but these are just a few things. Okay? 1 Peter 2.9, if you're turning there, it'll be up on the screen as well. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, everybody here has a phone, yeah? Take out your phone. And this is just kind of fun, and you'll be like, what are we doing? Take out your phone and put your camera on and turn it towards yourself. We're going to do a little affirmation this morning. Because sometimes it's easy for me to tell my friend, you are loved and you are wanted and you are worthy. But when, when I look in the mirror, it's not so easy. If you don't have one, just scoot next to somebody that does and say it together, Okay. Repeat this with me. I'm chosen. I'm royalty. Look at your own phone, not at the person next to you. I'm set apart and handpicked by the Father. I am loved. I am wanted. And I am his. And you could add on there, I'm free. You are all those things. This is who he has created you to be. This is who I am. This is who you are. And this is part of our identity as believers. Did anybody find that a little bit weird, a little bit difficult? I remember the first time I did that, uh, an exercise like that in a woman's group and they had a mirror. And they passed it around. Actually, I did it to people. And we're like, what are we doing? This is so awkward. This is so weird. But it is important that we look ourselves in the face and remind ourselves sometimes of who we are. And of who God says we are. And that we are loved and wanted. And there's nothing that could separate us from him. Because we are loved. Because if we don't know who we are, it's really easy for the enemy to lie to us. Isn't it? It's really easy for him to convince us that we are not what the word says we are. When we listen to the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, it's easy to forget that we're chosen. And it's easy to forget that we're royalty. But we are chosen and we are royalty and we are set apart for the purposes that God has in this world. We're set apart to share and proclaim the amazing things that God has done. We've all got a story. Talk about your story. Share your story. Because that's where freedom lies. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. We are anointed possessors of the Holy Spirit. It resides in us. He's handpicked us to bring the good news of the gospel to the people around us. That's a big deal. And it does deserve a clap. Thank you. It does, right? Because we are a big deal in the kingdom of God. And we don't act like it. And we don't think we are. And we allow the lies of the world to come in and speak louder than the truth of the scripture, than the truth of the Holy Spirit, than the truth of what the Lord has said of us. So we're being sent to our families. Sometimes our families are the most difficult places to go, but we are being sent to our families, our workplaces, to all the different facets of life that we find ourselves in, because we find ourselves in many different places. And when we're sent there, we are 
actually sent there to heal people, to heal brokenness, right? We're sent there, whether it's in their body, their heart, their mind, their spirit, whatever it is, we are the people that carry healing. We are the people that have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted. We need to live in such a way, friends. We need to live in such a way. This is who you are, and that is why, and there's no wonder why the kingdom of darkness fights so hard for your life. There is a fight for you. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. His plans for you are good. Whether you believe it right now, in this moment, his plans for you are good. We sang about it this morning. He is good. He is always good. Everything he does is good. No matter what it looks like on the outside world, it is good. He is good. The world's not good. He is. And in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 12, it talks about the fight that is waging in the spirit for you and for me. And it says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's a real battle happening for our lives, guys. There really is. And I want to take this moment, though, to say that not everything that happens in our life is because there are devils and demons picking on you. Not everything, okay? Because sometimes life happens, things happen, situations happen um, to us and around us. And sometimes things happen in our life because we do dumb things. And we make poor choices. And we get ourselves set up for failure. But praise the Lord for his restoration. Praise the Lord that he is good and that he doesn't leave us in our junk, and he doesn't leave us where we found ourselves, got ourselves into, right? I think that sometimes we give the enemy too much attention, and so this morning I kind of wanted to squash that and say, hey, sometimes life just happens, sometimes life just sucks. It just does. There's no way around it. So let's not give that jerk any more attention than what he needs this morning. There are going to be moments when you're going to, oh, this is a spiritual battle, and I need to war differently for this one, right? And as we grow and as we mature in the things of God, we learn. We learn to discern those things. We learn how we handle those things in different moments. But there's a war going on behind the scenes for you. And we have responsibilities as believers who carry authority in the kingdom to wage war back. We don't get to sit idle. Pastor Craig talked about idleness a little bit last week and just staying still. We don't get to be idle. We have to see victory to the other side. We have to wage war back against this battle, against this thing that is coming at us, because we don't fight for victory, we fight from it, right? Because victory was won at the cross. We don't have any more victory to be won. We already possess all that we need in the kingdom. So this morning, we're going to keep on. I've got a few um, points that i like to just bring up this morning, and these are what I've kind of titled enemies of our destiny, enemies of our future. And these are just a couple of things, because there's so many things. But these are a couple of things that I felt to point out this morning. And these things normally come at us subtly. They're not necessarily the big in-your-face, like, train wreck experiences, necessarily. These are things that creep in on us, things that we, um, they're kind of almost like a sneak attack sometimes. They come in and we're like, whoa, where'd that come from? How'd I find myself here? So the first thing I'm going to mention this morning is a subtle way that the enemy comes in to derail us and distract us from the things that God has. And I believe that is complacency and indifference. So complacency is being, is, uh, being marked by self-satisfaction. Complacency 
is self-pleasing. It comes from a place of, this is what I want. I'm comfortable. This is, um, I like, I want to stay in this place. I don't want to move. It would be too much work. It would be too much effort to get out of my own way. And indifference means that we're unconcerned. So you put the two of them together, and we are just looking after what is best for us, and we're unconcerned about the world and the things around us. And the enemy will use complacency and indifference to derail us, to take us off course, to distract us from the things and the work that God has for us. In Philippians 4, it mentions being content. Paul said, I've learned to be content no matter where I am, essentially. That's like the paraphrase, right? But he talks about being content, but being content is marked by peace. So that's the difference between complacency and contentment. Contentment is marked by peace and rooted in Jesus, and it's not self-seeking, and it's not uncaring. So sometimes we can find ourselves in this place, and I'm just being content. Are we actually? What is it rooted in? Is it rooted in a deeper thing of it's self-seeking, it's self-pleasing, this is what makes me happy right now, and I'm unconcerned with the things and the people around me? Or are you content saying, this is rooted in peace, but when Jesus speaks, I move? Right? There's a difference there. There's a difference there. The enemy wants us at a self-focused standstill. He wants us like staring at the mirror, looking at nothing more than just ourselves, our own needs, our own wants, and the things that make us happy. And it's a place where we see everything as someone else's problem. But he tells us, I'm sorry, the enemy will use these moments to subtly keep us from moving forward because we don't see it as a big deal all the time. We don't recognize it for what it is, that it could be a trap, that it could be a setup from the enemy in our lives. In Psalm 84, it mentions that we as believers, we go from strength to strength. In 2 Corinthians, it says we go from glory to glory, right? So what this means is that we don't stop. We don't stop for a minute and just be idle and be complacent. We don't sit still. We don't get so comfortable that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and asks us to make that move or do that thing, that we shrug our shoulders and say, it's not my problem. So we need to be conscious against complacency and conscious against indifference. It means that we move. It means that we change. And it means that we trust and obey obey in all things. It means we get stronger as we are changed into, into the image of Jesus. And I have news for you. If you've been a Christian for a minute or two and there's still things in your life that look the same as day one of your encounter with Jesus, you might need to check yourself. Because we are forever changing, forever moving, forever going from strength to strength and glory to glory. We should not look the same today as we did six years ago when we met Jesus. Or six months ago when we met Jesus. Or whatever, whatever. Fill in your own blank there, right? I've been saved now for 20 years, 30 years. Oh, my gosh, I'm old. But you know what I mean? I shouldn't look the same as day one. I shouldn't look the same as day one. One of the tactics that the enemy will use in the fight for your destiny is to keep you at bay and to keep you comfortable. To keep you focused on something other than the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. We should be about the father's business. And we say things like, well, I've got a good job. I've got a nice house. I have everything I need. I'm comfortable. And fill in, fill in, fill in your blanks. Right? We all have those things. And there's nothing wrong with a good job. And there's nothing wrong with the house. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable and having the things that we need. We are blessed. We are blessed people in this country. But there are days that, some of you have been to my house, you know, there are days where I, I go out front and I just look and I'm like, wow, like, Lord, you've blessed us 
you know, living this American dream, if you want to call it that, right? I've got a house, I've got a couple of cars in the driveway, I've got two kids and some pets in the house, you know, in the backyard. And I have to look at it and be, and be thankful for it. But in the same breath, I have to surrender it to him. And I've done this many times. We've had our house now for six years, and there's many times where I walk through the driveway, and I say, Lord, thank you. But if you ask me to put a for sale sign on it tomorrow, it is yours. There's nothing I wouldn't do and no place I wouldn't go to stay in your will and to be in your heart. And so, well, those things are okay. They're all good things, but when they start to overstep their place in our lives, they can infringe on where God wants to take us, and they can be used as a sucker punch from the enemy and a detour. In Genesis 22, we're not going to turn there, but it's uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac, a super familiar story. And Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac was Abraham's dream. He was Abraham and Sarah's dream become flesh. <laughs> they, wanted, they wanted a son. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. They couldn't have children. They couldn't have children. They couldn't have children. The Lord delivered a promise to them. And so Isaac was a promise that his parents hoped for and dreamed of. And he was in his 30s by the time the Lord asked Abraham to take him to be, be sacrificed, ultimately. You know, I would imagine that Abraham and Sarah had become really content in their family structure. They'd become really content in the promise that God had delivered to them. But Abraham, what we, when we read the passage, we find that he wasn't complacent. He wasn't self-seeking. And he wasn't like, oh, it's somebody else's problem. He was actually very content in what he had. But when the Lord spoke, he moved. And Abraham's contentment was rooted in peace. And because there was a peace there that let him, um, allowed him to trust the Father, he obeyed even though. Even though he could have lost what he saw as the promise. He would have had to sacrifice the promise back on the altar that day. But he didn't. He didn't have to. Don't allow yourself to get complacent, complacent and rooted in, in self and self-seeking behavior. The enemy would love to use it against you, and he will. He will 100% use it against you if we're not careful. Be content, which is rooted in peace again in where God has you today, but be ready to obey. Be ready to obey his voice. That's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. The second thing I believe the enemy uses to um, subtly, sometimes not subtly, come in to try and take us off of our course, take us off of um, the plans that God has for us, is through pain, through pain in our lives. I believe he fights for it in the way that um, he reminds us often of what's been done to us. He reminds us often of who was a part of that moment. And he fights to keep us bitter, unforgiving, and angry. Because if he can keep us in that world of wind, of anger, of bitterness, of unforgiveness, what else can we think of? What else can we think of? It will eat us alive. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And as I was preparing this, I felt that I needed to stop for a moment and say this to somebody maybe here or watching online. That the pain that was caused you and the trauma that was imposed on you and the ways that you were hurt are not okay. And that the Father is not okay with those things. Um, that there was pain left in your heart and the fight wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. And I believe he wants you to recognize that this morning that he's not okay with it, that it wasn't a fair fight, but somehow along the way it left you feeling tied up in the ropes like you can't get out. It's left you in this place um, and tried to paralyze you. And this morning there is freedom. And this morning there is no more anger and there is no more bitterness and there is no more unforgiveness. 
He wants to take it from you this morning. The question is, will you allow him to? Will you allow him to put something new inside of you? As that verse says, going to remove the old stone heart. He wants to put back something soft, something pliable, something that he can speak to. Will you let him do that this morning? You know, we've all experienced pain. There, I don't think there's a person in the room that wouldn't have a story to share of some sort. We've all experienced it. But yet, look, you're all here today. We're all still standing. We're all still moving. We're all, we're all still learning. If you know my husband's story, some of you may, some of you not, may not. You know, he should be a drunk. He should be a deadbeat dad. And we probably shouldn't be married anymore. And he should be really angry and bitter, except for Jesus. There's no other answer in his, in his story and in his life except Jesus. And if you had asked him like 18 years ago, about 18 years ago when we were first married, you know, what it would take to heal what had been done to him and the way he had been left and abandoned and all those things, he probably would have told you at that moment that it would have been whenever he, um, whenever our son was born. At the time, I was pregnant with our son. And so he probably said, well, when my son's born, then everything that's been done to me will all be okay. But I'll tell you what, my son is 17. He was born, and life happened, and he didn't heal anything. Time doesn't heal. Other people don't heal. Jesus heals. He is your only answer. He is your only answer. Pain changes us, but it 100% does not have to define us. It doesn't have to come into our next chapter. It doesn't have to come into the next whatever with you. It just doesn't. We have a choice to heal and to forgive we have a choice to keep moving forward into what God has put in front of us. And the enemy would love to keep you stuck. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to re be revealed to us and in us. Even in our suffering, even in our suffering, our chaos, God is revealing more of who he is to us more of what he has created us for. And oftentimes, it's in painful seasons, I've learned, that in the painful seasons and in the ebbs and flows of life, this is when the Father embeds our identity in us. These are the moments that we couldn't, we couldn't pull out from any other situation in life, what God has done during those painful moments. He literally embeds who he's created us to be. He embeds faithfulness and he embeds endurance. And he embeds all those things, all his goodness into us. But it's only through pain sometimes that we can get there. It's only through pain. It's only through hard seasons sometimes that we can find ourselves understanding more of his heart for us, understanding more of who he has created us to be and how much we are loved. It's where we learn truly that we're nothing without him. And we have to lean and we have to trust in new ways. And then he reveals more of who he's created us to be. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, healing their pain and comforting their sorrow. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. He doesn't allow us to sit brokenhearted. He doesn't want you to sit brokenhearted. If you're sitting brokenhearted, ask him to come. Ask him to come close and bring healing. Because his heart is not that your heart would be broken. Don't allow the pain that life has brought you to to paralyze you in the fight because pain will paralyze us. The third thing, and I believe for me this has been one of the biggest things. Like I said, I've been Christian for 30 years. 
But this has been one of the things that has been the hardest for me. And I'm going to be raw with you guys. Disappointment. Wave your hand at me if you've never been disappointed. No? Not one person? Oh, right. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 12. It says this, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. How many of you know Jesus is your good break? He'll turn things around. He really will. But there are times in life, guys, where it just doesn't feel like anything is letting up. Wave my hand if you ever felt like that. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that. A dime or two. Where hits just keep coming. Where maybe you used to be a glasses half full kind of person and now you're just not. There's like, there's just been too much life. There's been too much drama. There's been too much trauma. It's just, no, it's not full anymore. <laughs> not even halfway. And it's one thing after the other. And it's all you can do. You just keep taking the punches, taking the punches, taking the punches. And you can hardly keep your hands up for the blocks anymore. I think we've all had a moment or two that we can relate to that. And disappointment can get you to the point where you just drop your guard altogether. Um, where things just get too heavy. It gets too heavy to hold up your own arms. And you decide that giving up and dropping is easier than attempting to have the strength to lift your hands again. And we're talking about blocking, but really lifting your hands when we're talking about our life with Jesus is like this. But sometimes we just drop. And we can't lift him anymore. We feel like we can't lift him anymore. And we start to accept that our, well, we start to say to ourselves, well, my current situation, where I'm at today, it's okay. It's okay if I stay here. It's okay if things don't change. It's okay if nothing good ever happens to me again. This is my life. These are the cards I've been dealt, and it's all whatever. This is acceptable. I'm accepting this as my future. Then disappointment will lie to you and tell you that going back to where you were in your life at one time makes more sense than pushing forward. It'll tell you that it was easier there than it is here. That it makes more sense for you to stay and to, to revert than it does to carve out a new path and one that aligns with the Father and his heart and what he has for you. Because sometimes it is easier to go back to what is familiar than it is to fight for what is actually yours. Disappointment will lie to you. And I think when we have moments where you just don't think things are going to get any worse. You know, you expected God to come through. We ask ourselves questions like, God, why didn't you come through? Where were you? What were you doing? Were you just too busy to take care of what I had going on? You know, I've had my share of disappointments in life, and we already expressed that we have two, obviously, in this room. And some of you have heard me talk a little bit about my mom. When my mom passed three years ago, initially... I trusted God's heart, and I, I really trusted his plan for what that was for our family. But I have to be honest, in the months that came after that, about two, three months in, disappointment really started to set in. And it's so funny because the song that Lacey sang today, King of My Heart, was a song that about three years ago, I was like right there. And we, that song was being sung at the end of a service, and we got to the part where it says, you're never going to let me down. And you're good. And I kid you not, in my whole life as a Christian, I'd never not been able to sing something or proclaim something or declare something. And I stood there with my eyes open and my mouth shut. And I said, God, I can't sing this today because I don't, I, I don't know anymore. And it wasn't that I 
well, I was giving up on my faith and deconstructing anything, but it was a moment of disappointment where I had to really come to terms with where my heart was at. Because you know what? For over 30 years, I prayed for my mom. And I said things like, God, why didn't you heal her? I've been faithful to you. I've said yes to you the best I could my whole life for 30 years. Why didn't you heal her? I've seen people healed instantaneously. I've taken people out of the country and we've seen miraculous things happen. Why didn't you do this for me? Why didn't you do this for my children? So they would have a story to tell. And I found myself really sick in my heart. And there were only at that time a few people that knew. But I had to let a few people in. And this is a really raw thing for me to say. Um, I'm a minister, and I didn't pick up my physical Bible for a year in that time. And I'm just being really honest. Because disappointment was eating away and eating away and eating away at my heart. Praise God, his word was in my heart. I still knew it. I could still repeat it to myself when I needed to. But I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. But the enemy was really trying to use disappointment to take me out, to try and take our family out in that time. It was attacking my destiny and who the Lord wanted me to be as an individual as well as along with my husband and my children. And I had to make a choice to pick my guard back up in those days. I had to make a choice to give up my right to understand what had happened and why it had happened. And I also had to, like I, I mentioned, I had to let a few people in. I had to let a few people in. I'll never forget texting, actually, with Pastor Renee, and I said, here's my situation. Send. Pray for me. I had to let somebody know. And then there were a few other people that were let in as time went on. But the way to complacency, pain, and disappointment in your life is to keep your guard up against the enemy and down to the people that love you. Oftentimes, we put our guard down to the enemy, and we come right up against people that care, right up against people that can speak life, right up against people that want the best for us. Pastor Craig often says, surround yourself with people or at least have a few people in your life that you trust more than yourself. Because when moments like that happen, when things hit the fan, you have to have somebody that's clear about who you are and where you're going and what God has set before you. Find those people in your life. I had to make a choice to be honest. Make a choice to be honest. Because disappointment will take you out. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Change my heart, God. Would you make it new again? Renew and restore your spirit in me, Jesus. Keep me in your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's all I have in this moment. It's all I'm hanging on to. Jesus, would you hold me and keep me? Will you hold me tight and not let go? That needs to be our prayer in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of pain, in the midst of complacency. The fight for our identity, the fight for your future, your future is one on your knees first. It's one in community second, and it's one in the light. Take the things that are dark and make them light. Let people in. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that it so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Keep running your race. Keep fighting your fight. Because I have a, as I've already expressed, there are times I've wanted to quit. There are times that I've wanted to walk away. There are times I've wanted to take my little credential card and go slap it on somebody's desk and say I'm out. But I'll tell you what keeps me. Jesus keeps me first and foremost. But the other things that keep me is I think about those that I've known over the course of my life that have quit. They have quit. They've turned over what they knew for what they thought was better or what, whatever pain or disappointment um, had handed them, and they reverted. And I've thought about the pain that that has caused not only myself but to the people around me. And I cannot quit because I have a responsibility to you. And I have a responsibility to, to the people that I come in, in contact with. Don't quit. Just be faithful today in the fight. It's one day at a time. It's one moment at a time. And you might say, you know, Lord, I'm just trying. Would you just meet me here? I'm just trying. And that's enough. That's enough of a heart cry to get the Father's attention. He just needs to know that you're there. He needs to hear that you're there. He knows you're there. But he needs to hear that cry. As a parent, when my kids were babies, I knew they were there. But, man, sometimes they had to get a little louder for me to give them what they needed. It's okay to get a little louder because your dad does know what you need, but he's waiting for you to ask for it. We need to recognize the manipulative tactics that the enemy uses and remember that he does not fight fair. He will always go for the low blow, always. And this morning as I close, I'm going to ask um, our staff and a few of our prayer team people to come forward. And if you need to go, that's totally fine. You can be dismissed. But I want to give an opportunity for prayer this morning. You know what? If you're here and you feel stuck in complacency, stuck in indifference, man, things just don't affect me the way that they used to. And you're, and you're like, Jesus, I, I need help with that. I need to care again. I need to get out of this rut. I'm going to ask you to come and just receive prayer. If you feel like the pain of life has just gripped you and it's just hanging on, like that song said, the night's hanging on to us. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is hanging on harder and stronger. But will you come? Let him hold you in that moment. And if you feel like disappointment has truly set up camp for you this morning, like, man, it's just been a while and I just can't get out of this feeling, out of this funk, would you come? We just want to pray with you this morning. Um, so, yeah, if you're here and you need to go, please be dismissed. If you're here this morning and you'd like some prayer, please come. We'll be up here and, um, and ready to pray with you guys. Amen.